Welcome to Gag Me with a Chainsaw, a horror podcast about 80s slashers. I'm Corey. And I'm Sarah. And we love scary movies. And we don't have mommy issues. <laughs> Back problems? Yes. Yes, both. Unresolved religious trauma? Certainly. <laughs> but no mommy issues. <laughs> Hello, Corey. Hi, Sarah. Enough chit chat, Corey. Yeah? We've got a lot to do today. We do. We're busy. What's our movie this week? We're talking about a big one. We're talking about Friday the 13th from 1980. Just under the wire here. (laughs) Why did we pick this movie? Look at the calendar, people. Yeah. I know we all know for sure now that time isn't real, but (laughs) we're still pretending, right? It's always fun to watch one of these movies on Friday the 13th. Yeah. And this one is my favorite. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, this is a camp movie. It's probably the camp movie, right? Yeah, I'd say so. There's a there's a couple strong contenders, but definitely, yeah. Do you have camp experiences? I do. Mm, <laughs> what kind? So my family would go camping every summer. So I have like that family camping experience. Mm-hmm. But then I also went to teen camp for a few years, and I even. Once I could no longer go to teen camp, I worked as the crafts director at the same teen camp. So you love camp. <laughs> I kind of love camp. And this is non-religious camp, right? It It's like barely religious. It's YMCA, sure. so it's like one of the songs we sang mm-hmm. might have a little mention of God here or there, but that, yeah. that was about it. Yeah. Uh, what kind of crafts did you do? Uh, lanyards, for sure. Could you teach me how to do one later? Yeah. Can you still do it? I can start it for you, probably. Oh, that's what I need the most help with. (laughs) Yeah, the other part's easy. (laughs) I felt like that was half my job, just starting lanyards for kids. (laughs) That must have made you so popular in the off-season. Yeah. You always need that one friend that can start the friendship bracelet, start the lanyard. Yeah, friendship bracelet, um, leather stamping. We did candle making. Wow. Yeah. So when society collapses, Uh you'll have some skills. I hope I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Some tactical lanyards. Yeah. Oh, and I can't forget Camp Keep. Oh, yeah. If if you're from California, you probably went to Camp Keep. A lot of places in California go. I think is it just Kern County? Isn't that what the Keep stands for? Kern Educational Educational Environment program oh well i feel sorry for everyone else i know (laughs) they probably have their own thing we have two camp keeps though and there's the ocean and the mountains yeah Mm. you you went to the one that nobody i know went to i know (laughs) it was like literally me and only the people that were in the sixth grade with me i feel like everybody else got to go to the beach yeah and it sounds a lot better it was fun it was it was like beach and mountain combo We were just at the mountains, Mm -hmm. and it was fine. We were away from our parents for five days, and that was fun. And this took place in sixth grade. Sixth grade, Mm -hmm. yeah. They would not let us bring aerosol deodorant into Mm -hmm. camp. Um, No deodorant, if I am remembering correctly. The um, crunchy types running the (laughs) camp were like, no. Um, they would not let us shower every day, and I was a twice-a-day showerer at the time, so that was very upsetting for me. Um, and they also wanted us to eat, like, everything on our plate. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they said that our scraps at the end of every meal should be two tablespoons. And then this man ate a whole apple core in front of all of us. <laughs> and we were shocked. Yeah. Like, this is too far. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I remember, I don't remember how often we showered. I probably didn't care that I didn't have to shower every day because mm. it's kind of weird to shower in those showers. Yeah. But I know they had to be really short. Yeah. And we had to, like, they had, like, the tiniest paper napkins that you had to tear in half. Mm-hmm. And, like, share with a buddy. <laughs> I was like, why not just get cloth napkins? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, a lot of fun songs and skits mm-hmm. and... Uh, Memories. Things, mm-hmm. things that I still remember. Was there um, a drama the week that you were at Camp Keep? Oh, I'm sure. I feel like there was, like... Did you go with another school? Because I feel like when I went, it was us and another school. And it was like, ooh, who are these boys from? Yeah. (laughs) This other school. Wait, I don't know. We must have been because there were a lot of kids there. Yeah. And it couldn't have been all of us because we, our sixth grade went in two, like two shifts. Mm. So it must have been. But we were focused on like the kids that we knew. Okay. Mostly. There are two scandals that I remember. Mm Mm-hmm. One kid peed the bed. Yeah. This is sixth grade, Yeah, I feel like that always happened. (laughs) You are not ready for prime time, okay? (laughs) Get back home to your mama's bed because we're out here in the woods and cannot have you pee in the bed. (laughs) And another kid on the all-day hike that I faked sick to get out of uh, had a collapsed lung, like, on the top of the mountain. And then it was, like, this big drama. They had to, like, bring up stretchers to bring him down. Like, I was sorry I missed that. He was fine. Good. But glad to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I was I wasn't sweating it either because I was in the infirmary reading Contraband 17 <laughs> and eating the staff lunch, which was amazing. Taking all the quizzes. Yeah. <laughs> reading about wet dreams. That was the week that I learned about what a wet dream was because wow. somebody asked in the the advice column in 17. Nice. My best friend was like actually kind of not feeling well. And I was like, well, I already didn't want to go on this all day hike. So I definitely don't want to go without you. So just coincidentally, we both fell ill that day. Mm. These things happen. Yeah. Yep. And that counselor that ate the apple core, you know where he is now? Dead. <laughs> apple tree grew in his belly. <laughs> That's how it happens. R.I.P. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've been to camp. Mm-hmm. We both lived. To unlike, tell the tales. Unlike most of these kids. Yeah. In Friday the 13th, directed by Sean Cunningham. At this time, he'd also produced The Last House on the Left in 1972. And he went on to produce a few more of the later Friday the 13th titles. Written by Victor Miller. Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller had been working on mostly family movies, but after the release and success of Halloween and Sean's previous work with Wes Craven, they decided to pivot and make a horror movie. They were like, this is what gets the buns in the seats. Mm -hmm. And Sean had the the title in mind, had no idea what it would be about, but just like, that's a good title. Yeah. (laughs) And it worked. Like, he got financing just from the title. Yeah, he was, like, taking ads out. Like, Friday the 13th, (laughs) people were like, I gotta know what this is. (laughs) Victor Miller went on to have a very successful Emmy Award-winning career in daytime soap operas, and he recently won a legal battle to retain the domestic rights to this original screenplay. 
for the first Friday the 13th movie. Um, That's kind of like a tricky legal battle because Hockey Mask Jason is not in this first movie. Um, They can keep making Hockey Mask Jason movies, I think, but the story for this first movie is his. So that's Jason's backstory, sort of. Yeah. It's all very weird. Mm -hmm. This movie stars... Adrian King as Alice. She had uncredited roles as dancers in Hair and Saturday Night Fever before this, and she reprised her role as Alice in Friday the 13th, too. How she didn't do any dancing in this movie. I wish there was a little more dancing. That's what this movie (laughs) needs is a little bit of dancing. Uh, Harry Crosby as Bill. Harry is the son of Bing Crosby. And you just look at this dude and look at this dude, and I cannot see it. <laughs> no, not really. He must be all his mom. Mm-hmm. He only has a few acting credits. It just wasn't for him, I guess. Uh, Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees. She had a long career before this, starting in 1951. She did mostly TV work through the 50s and was a frequent panelist on game shows in the 60s and 70s. She only took this part because she needed a new car. (laughs) But over the years, she warmed up to the film and her part in it. Yeah. I think that's so cool that she was on so many of those game shows. Like, I love those. Everybody's (laughs) just like a little bit drunk and having a good time. (laughs) $10,000 pyramid? It's my shit. (laughs) We also have Kevin Bacon as Jack. He goes on to be Kevin Kevin Bacon. <laughs> he had done Animal House before this, and two years later, his career exploded when Footloose was released. Um, is he a hunk? Uh, there's something about him. There is something about him, but it's not his face. No. <laughs> but it is kind of now. Now he's kind of cute. Yeah. Like older, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I like Kevin Bacon. He seems like a fun guy. Yeah. And he's done a few horror movies along the way. Stir of Echoes. Tremors. There was a recent one that I did not like. Well, we don't have to talk about it then. But they're uh, Hollow Man. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's, I have that vividly in my mind for some reason. (laughs) One scene in particular. (laughs) I like Kevin Bacon. He still dances. Yeah? Yeah. Every once in a while, his TikToks pop up on, on my TikTok and... He's out there giving the people what they want. Do you think him and what's her name, Adrian King, like cut a rug during the filming of this? Oh my God, I hope so. <laughs> they had to have. I like that when these guys that are like famous for dancing are still like, I'll give you a couple of moves. <laughs> like Travolta starts dancing in any capacity. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I love this. Yeah. So Kevin Bacon goes on to have such a prolific and varied career that he gets a whole game. Yeah. We're going to play a little bit of it right now. <sighs> a little Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon Horror Edition. Woohoo. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some people that we have already encountered. Okay. Mm, let's start with Tiny Tim. <laughs> oh, how unlike you to pick Tiny Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny Tim you would think would have a lot of degrees cuz yeah that was the only movie that he like played in but he was also himself not a character uh-huh in a movie called one trick pony 
with Daniel Stern, who was in Starting Over with Kevin Bacon. Tiny Tim has two degrees. Ooh, impressive. I know. (laughs) Daniel Stern, so Mervo and Marvo. (laughs) (laughs) The movie we never got. (laughs) They they would make um, Daniel Stern play Tiny Tim's older brother. (laughs) 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 Mm, Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, What about our friend Grizzly Adams, (gasps) a.k.a. Dan Haggerty? We do love him. Our hero from Elves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do we have for him? Well, I know he was in Grizzly Adams. Let's start there. Yes. Okay. So he was in The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams with June Lockhart, who was in The Big Picture with Kevin Bacon. What is that? Two degrees again? Two degrees again. Dang. <laughs> wow. Everybody in the world must only be two degrees from Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Used to be six. Now it's just two. He's done enough movies. Okay. What about our scream queen? Uh Uh-huh. Jamie Lee Curtis. Ooh. I bet you it's... They must have done a movie together, right? They have. One degree for Jamie Lee. Ooh. She was in Queen's Logic with Kevin Bacon. Nice. Okay. Oh, I'm scared about this next (gasps) one. Is it? Charles. Stop. <laughs> it is. Brad Dourif. Yes. A.K.A. Chucky. Um, a man that I am extremely attracted to. But it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Scared and attracted at the yes. same time. Yes. Um, again, one degree. He was in Murder in the First with Kevin Bacon. Scary. I Oh, no. <laughs> Corey. What? I'm concerned. Why? After today, we'll only be two degrees from Chucky. <gasps> You're right. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I was always afraid this day would <laughs> I knew he would find me. <laughs> Our very special guest today. <gasps> so exciting. Is Emmy winner Victor Miller, the writer of Friday the 13th. Hell Yeah. His most recent movie in 2017 was directed by Tom Holland, who also directed Child's Play. Yes. So Tom Holland knows Chucky. (laughs) And then, okay, so Chucky could ask Tom Holland to call Victor Miller. And then Chucky could, well, wait, 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 wait. Chucky could get Victor Miller's phone number from Tom Holland and then... He could ask Victor Miller. For my email address. Yes. <laughs> and then he's got us. Oh, no. <laughs> the long plan has finally paid off for Chucky. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it up, and I'm going to have to change my identity. Yeah. We're going to come back with a new name. <laughs> <laughs> new identities. Yes. So that's some exciting news for us. Yeah. Stay tuned all the way to the end to hear that awesome interview yeah he was super nice so he goes on to win emmys and be a guest on this podcast (laughs) i don't know what he values more a life well lived okay (laughs) a life well lived yeah (laughs) so let's get into it yeah Mm, this is one of the big names of of the genre yeah the big free Big free, the big three <laughs> slasher franchises, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I give it four because I always include Charles. I know, 
It's like why I'm nice to the Alexa, because I'm hoping that when the robots <laughs> rise up, that they'll remember that I said, please and thank you. And I will get it better than the rest of you. Yeah. So like, I'm always like trying to say things, nice things about Charles when I can. So hopefully he'll take all that into account. I think so. So the big four. Okay. Please. <laughs> we won't say what's number four. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but definitely one of the big three, big four, Friday the 13th. Yes. And kind of mm, weird because when you think of Friday the 13th, most people think of Hockey Mask Jason, who is not in this movie. Right. So it's like almost standalone. Yeah, in a way it, it is. It was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Asterisk? Asterisk on everything after this. <laughs> But this is where we start. Yeah, and I feel like they continued, especially in the early ones, with a lot of the same style that we got in this one. So even though the killer is different, mm-hmm. it's a lot of influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you remember the first time that you saw this movie? That's funny because I'm not sure if I saw this um, when I was younger. I have a vague memory. I'll, t- I'll talk about it when we get there. Of seeing at least one scene. Mm. But I think I watched this later, like my late teens, mm-hmm. early 20s. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. It's kind of like, you know, Hockey Mask Jason has always been there, yeah. like in pop culture. So yeah. you always knew about it. But I'm not sure when I saw this one. What about you? I'm not sure either. I have a sort of memory of maybe it. I've talked before about how I had to leave a slumber party because Lost Boys was coming on. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things would happen to me like pretty <laughs> frequently um, in the 80s when I was at people's houses. And I would just kind of have to like try to avoid it. Mm-hmm. So like I have like a, a kind of vague memory of like it being a thing because like I feel like back then people just really did not give a shit. Like kids could watch whatever. Nobody really cared <laughs> that much. If we weren't my parents, it seemed like anyways. Yeah. So but then I kind of like... I don't know, man. It's almost like some of these movies are so in the ether that it's hard to remember when you actually first saw the whole thing. Because, yeah, like you said, you've been seeing Hockey Mask Jason all this time. You've always known the name Mrs. Voorhees. Like, when did it first? It's always been in your consciousness. It's hard to separate the two. Yeah. Like, I could not tell you when was the first time I saw Psycho. Mm -hmm. But there must have been a first time I saw the whole thing. Yeah. But I probably already knew who what the ending was like yeah it's hard to pin it down but i don't know i did go on a run watching a few of these um a few years ago Mm -hmm. i like this one so much yeah i've seen the whole franchise it it probably at least three times Mm -hmm. um and it's always fun to to watch them all right are we ready let's get started let's uh pack our bags Pack our bug spray, <laughs> stamps, and envelopes to write letters home to mom. Yeah. And uh, head on out to Camp Crystal Lake. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm scared but excited. Yeah. So much potential. You were a counselor too, right? Not a counselor. I was a crafts director, so I did not have to stay in the cabin with campers. But you cavorted with all the fellow youth? Yes. How was that? It was nice. It was fun. I think I had, like, a good role. Like, uh, those of us that had, like, just shared our cabin and didn't have to yeah. be that responsible for the kids. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was perfect. Yeah. That's definitely ideal. <laughs> um, was it as horny as everybody like thinks it is? Like with the counselors? Mm-hmm. Kind of. It is, huh? I mean, not me personally because I was in a relationship at the time. But um, yeah. I knew it. You knew what? I knew it was. Yeah. No, there was definitely hookups going on. <laughs> At Camp Keep, we would go to bed and our counselor would be like, later, little bitches. And we would not see her again. <laughs> and like, we knew that all the counselors were like meeting up at the amphitheater or whatever. And I was just like, damn, I bet it is going down over there. <laughs> but because we were unsupervised, we were out too. We were leaving the cabin at night. We snuck out and went to the boys' cabin. And then we got scared and ran away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember we had one night a week where it was like counselor time. And I think it was one night a week or maybe it was a couple nights a week because we would take turns like two counselors would be on duty and like just watching over like all mm-hmm. the cabins like outside mm-hmm. while all the other counselors were like socializing. So you got that little time. How long did you go? Uh, a couple hours. No, I mean like how long were you gone a week, like two weeks, a month, like. Oh, it was all summer. All summer? Yeah, so it started with, like, the little kids, and then by the end of summer, it was teen camp. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Dang, you were committed to this. <laughs> that's the thing. It was, like, I think that's why it was just, like, any kind of release, because you worked six days a week. We had one night off, mm-hmm. and, like, people would go into town, which was Visalia. Oh, <laughs> where the most, big city. Where most of the counselors were from. Sure. And, yeah, it was just, like... You're constantly there. <laughs> um, do you get paid? You get paid minimum wage, which is not very much. No. And it's like you're working hours, but then you also live there. You're so. away from home all summer. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking cool, man. <laughs> it was fun. Dang. I was just stuck at home like a dope. <laughs> Watching fucking Matlock eating Top Ramen. Could have been... In the woods. Yeah. Dang. Oh, well. Maybe next time. You you still can. Like, there were older counselors. Do you think that I could um, never been kissed my way into camp? <laughs> oh, as a camper? Uh, as a counselor. As a, as, a, as a youth counselor? Yeah. I could, huh? Yeah. It's baby face. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, our movie opens on a full moon. In 1958 at Camp Crystal Lake, a cabin full of vibrant young counselors are singing around a roaring fire while one of them strums an acoustic guitar. Classic camp stuff. Totally. How many acoustic guitars did you run across at camp? Many? Um, At least one every session. At least one. Yeah. yeah. You had to have one. Yeah. Your camp was garbage if you didn't. <laughs> Tam- any tambourines? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Definitely a tambourine or two. Well, these idiots don't have any tambourines <laughs> or maracas. Just the one guy. Mm-hmm. So while the teens are busy harmonizing about scat or whatever, <laughs> an unseen assailant moves through the camp. Singing about the River Jordan being deep and wide gets two of the counselors, Barry Jackson and Claudette Hayes, so worked up. They have to excuse themselves to go spill some milk and honey, hallelujah, (laughs) (laughs) in a storage cabin. Yeah, they're making eyes at each other the whole time. They're like, we can't wait. (laughs) 
They are so horn that they don't hear the iconic that is already happening around them. And they don't notice they aren't alone. The faceless intruder catches them in the act on a nasty wool blanket. (laughs) And despite Barry's claim that they weren't doing anything, they are both murdered. So now I have a question for you. Yeah. What camp song gets you the horniest? Like for me, Mm -hmm. it's live oak, live oak. Oh, baby, let your xylem flow. Yo. Because it's rock and fucking roll, you know? <laughs> like, if these campfire kids in 1958 heard Live Oak, Live Oak, it'd be like Marty McFly at prom. Right? They would go ape. Okay. Blow their fucking minds. I think mine would have to be, um, like, that call and response one. I said a boom, chicka boom. I don't know that one. Oh, repeat after me. Okay. I said a boom, chicka boom. Bo- just the boom chicka no, boom? No, the whole thing. Okay. I said a boom chicka boom. I said a boom chicka boom. I said a boom chicka boom. I said a boom chicka rocka chicka rocka chicka boom. I said a boom chicka rocka chicka rocka chicka boom. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the oh, yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. That does it for you? And then you could do it in any style you wanted. So you could be like baby style next, but we could be like, Horny style. Okay. <laughs> Let me hear it. No. That's, I think we're done. <laughs> that was enough. Okay. I wanted to hear the words boom chicka boom said horny. But all right. Okay. It's pretty close to boom chicka bow wow. It sure is. Okay. So that's the one that makes you the horniest. Totally. Okay. I get it. Now that I'm hearing it, I'm going to slide right off this chair. So these kids are slaughtered, and we get a freeze frame on Claudette's screaming face, and it gives way to a black screen and our title, Friday the 13th. It's all stacked up and bold. It gets closer and closer to the screen until we get a breaking glass effect. The Manfredini score is pumping, and it's all very exciting. Yeah, it's a really good title. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. The score, this was the, the first time around like well the first time that i watched it in these last few weeks where i really noticed the score and like how effective it is oh yeah it's so good yeah so henry manfredini made the decision to only have the music in the movie when the killer is present which i think works really well so smart yeah and like like, when you know it and you hear it you're like oh man that's been like fucking with me subconsciously the whole time (laughs) i love that these credits are exciting because we also have um, I was just going to say our friend, <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to put it out there. Our friend. Yeah. Tom Savini. Our future friend. Yeah. <laughs> he did the effects for this movie. Yeah. They wanted him and he was one of the first that signed on because they liked his work on Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, he is so good at what he does mm-hmm. because he was a combat photographer in Vietnam And he always says, like, if it doesn't look like what I saw out there, it's not good enough. Yeah. And that is pretty sick. Mm -hmm. So 21 years later, camp cook Annie Phillips is on her way to the reopened Camp Crystal Lake. She stops at a diner to get directions, and the locals are concerned by her destination, a place they call Camp Blood. It's like you could... 
it just gets super quiet when she walks in and yeah. says she's <laughs> looking for Camp Crystal Lake. But Enos, a truck driver, agrees to drive her halfway to the camp and only sexually harasses her a tiny bit. And that was a pretty good deal for 1980. Oh, yeah. That was about as good as you could hope for. Yeah. On their way to the truck, Enos and Annie are waylaid by the elderly crazy Ralph, who <laughs> tries to ward Annie away from going to the camp. He tells her Camp Crystal Lake has a curse of doom on it. Um, His parents never should have named him Crazy Ralph. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the first mistake. Self-fulfilling prophecy here. <laughs> oh, I like that he has a wife, though, we learn later. I know. I was like, I want to meet her. <laughs> Enos tells Ralph to fuck off, and Ralph pedals away on his bike. It's so funny when he pedals away. <laughs> I don't know why, but it is. While driving, Enos warns Annie about the camp's troubled past beginning when a young boy drowned in Crystal Lake in 1957. Since then, there was a string of murders, fires, and other calamities. Enos tells her she should quit before she even gets there. But she's just like, yeah, you're you're just like Crazy Ralph. Yep. I don't believe you. He's like, well, maybe he's not so crazy. Maybe <laughs> we should call him Reasonable Ralph. I think so. Yeah. He was right all along. He sure was. <laughs> After being dropped off in front of a cemetery. Mm, she didn't notice this was too spooky. <laughs> and they tell her, we'll take you to the crossroads. Ma'am, no good things happen <laughs> at the crossroads. Yeah, so she hitches another ride from an unseen person. After the driver ignores the turn for the camp, Annie panics and executes a daring jump and roll maneuver from the moving vehicle. Do you think you could pull that off? Probably not as well as she did. I always think I could. I don't want to be tested. <laughs> not now. There yeah. was a time. Yeah, there was a time for me too. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't even want to like bend over too quick. I just imagine <laughs> the sound I would make <laughs> as my body hit the ground. <laughs> the driver pulls over, chases her into the woods, and slashes her throat. And this is the first great gore effect we see from Tom Sfini and his team. Yeah, the camera does not cut away from the kill. It happens in broad daylight without anything to obscure it. The effects really have nowhere to hide, so to speak. It looks great still. Mm -hmm. The slash across her throat opens so realistically. Like, it's a treat. Yeah, I think that's one of the funnest things about this movie are the, yeah. the effects. <laughs> Even with um, CGI effects, you'll see a lot of times now that they'll put them in dark. Like, they'll be at night. Or there will be a lot of yeah. rain or something to obscure it. And, you know, then you would use light and stuff to kind of like trick to not give away what you were doing. But he's so confident in what he's pulled off that he's just like, yeah, mm -hmm. shoot it in the afternoon <laughs> face on. Yeah. So back at the camp, counselors Ned, Jack and Marcy arrive and meet up with fellow counselors Alice, Brenda and Bill, along with the owner, Steve Christie. Steve is doing important work like shirtless tree stump removal, shirtless rain gutter repair, and shirtless persuading Alice to stay until Friday. <laughs> yeah, she wants to leave. And he's like, come on. Yeah, she's like, this is just not my thing. He's like, kind of got a thing for her. Yeah. And she seems like, like, uh, not she's, super into she's it. She's considering it. Yeah. But, nah. <laughs> she's keeping her options open. Definitely. <laughs> As a thunderstorm approaches, Steve leaves the campground to stock supplies. I know this trick. You leave on a beer run while everybody else is doing the physical labor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> while the kids work on refurbishing the cabins and facilities, they're watched by the unknown person in the woods. We just met these kids, and I am already rooting for Ned's demise. <laughs> like, he does this rude arrow prank where he almost 
almost really kills someone. Really kills someone. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> and he's got a uh, feather in his hair. Like, he stinks. Yeah. Uh, were there really so many obnoxious clowns in the 80s? Is this that thing of where if you don't know the obnoxious <laughs> clown, it was probably you who was the clown? Oh, no, I hope not, because I don't know anybody like that either. At first, I was like, sir, you were just a child, a mere child. Yeah. You could not have been an obnoxious clown. But then I remember when my dad told me, we couldn't wait for you to start talking. And then you started talking and then <laughs> just never shut up. So maybe... In any case, Ned is most likely the first practical Joker victim in slasher films. Yeah. he He's the prototype for so many characters that we hate. That we've already talked to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with Father Christie gone, the counselors are having a great time flirting and sunbathing on the lake. Kevin Bacon has really shown his Kevin sausage <laughs> in the tiny trunks he's yeah. wearing. <laughs> so this is the scene that I feel like I remember um, maybe just like watching this little scene before I went to bed. And like, I don't know, something about just being on the lake and being really vulnerable. But mm-hmm. I also confuse it in my head with um, the raft from Creepshow 2. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, it's just one jumbled mess. Oh, man. <laughs> But surprisingly, I was fine with water. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard that anytime you remember something, you're remembering the last time you remembered it? So that's why memories get a little bit more fractured every time. Oh, my time. gosh. I know. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm that. sorry. I already did. <laughs> that's why it's a jumbled mess. Yeah. So before they leave to get back to work, Ned fakes a drowning to tongue kiss a coworker mid-CPR. Mm-mm. Of course he does. Really earning that number one spot on the kill list. <laughs> When Alice is changing, she finds a snake in her cabin and screams for help. Bill rushes in with the machete, and shortly after, they're joined by the rest of the kids. They flush the snake out from its hiding spot, and Bill chops it to pieces. No. The scene is, like, fun and kind of cute until it, like, really isn't. Yeah. Everyone's clutching each other and screaming, and, like, those moments with, uh, like, other young people are, like, so fun, right? You're like, ah! We're all so stupid together. But then Bill kills a live snake. It's a real, real snake. Allegedly somebody's pet. Yeah, I hate it. Let's not do that. Well, I don't think we do that anymore. No. (laughs) There definitely doesn't have that, like, the Humane Society checked this out badge at the end. Like, (laughs) no. It's a bummer. Yeah. Later, a motorcycle cop cruises into camp to see what the hell they're doing out there to check if they're smoking Colombian gold, man. Hash. Grass. The weed. The weed. (laughs) It's a fair question because Ned is not funny, and yet they continue to hang out with him. (laughs) The cop tells the group they're looking for crazy Ralph from town who was last seen pedaling towards the camp. He tells them, we ain't going to stand for no weirdness out here. And then he tries to do a U-turn on his motorcycle to leave. And it is very clear this man does not know how to ride a motorcycle. Yeah. (laughs) He almost falls over, drops the bike in the dirt going like two miles an hour. (laughs) I laugh every time I see it. It's so funny. Um, This scene was added like while they were shooting. And Victor Miller, the writer, wasn't a fan because he wanted the kids to seem isolated. And I feel like he's correct at this. Like, mm-hmm. really, this is one of the tent poles of the genre, right? Like, young people are on their own and the authority figures around them cannot help. Yeah, I think he was right. But also, this guy doesn't seem like he'd be much help, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're. <laughs> he seems pretty caught up on the war on drugs. <laughs> Alice quickly finds Ralph hiding in a pantry. She's starting to cook some food because their their uh, camp cook never showed up, and he's just in there with the flour and the spices. He tells the kids they're doomed if they stay, but you know they're gonna stay. <laughs> it's only thirty minutes into the movie. So after handling a problem with the electricity and getting the emergency generators running, the kids start to split up. So outside, Ned sees someone walk into a cabin and follows them in. At this point, it's starting to rain, and Marcy tells Jack about a reoccurring nightmare she's had. She's in a thunderstorm that keeps getting louder and louder, and the rain starts turning into blood. Yeah, I like the scene. It's a fun bit of foreshadowing. But it's also the monologue that all the younger actresses had to read to audition for their roles. Shortly after, Jack and Marcy escape from the storm into that same cabin that Ned just went into. Yeah, unaware that Ned and the unknown figure went in before them. Mm-hmm. And then we have Brenda, Bill, and Alice hanging out in the main cabin. After listening to Bill strum some sweet tunes on that acoustic guitar. Michael, row your boat ashore. That would have been great if he said that. (laughs) (laughs) And then they decide to play the classic game of Strip Monopoly. Hell yeah, dude. (laughs) Which, listen to our interview later for Mm -hmm. some inside stories about this. (laughs) (laughs) And so while their friends play coy little board games, Jack and Marcy are getting down to business. They have tender sex in one of the cabin's bunk beds. I said a boom, chicka boom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oblivious to Ned's body above them, his throat having been slit. When Marcy leaves the cabin to use the bathroom, Jack settles into the bottom bunk to relax and smoke a joint. He barely takes one toke before a hand shoots out from under the bed, holds his forehead in place, and pierces his throat with an arrow through the mattress. That is like poor weed etiquette (laughs) let the man smoke so here we have another very famous savini scene it had to be done in one take because kevin bacon is like crouched underneath the bed with his head through and then there's like this fake neck and body there was a hose connecting the blood spurt to the the pump that was supposed to come through his neck and it broke when they went to shoot so one of the guys on the effects crew had to blow through the tube and it ended up being a happy accident because it created the well-known, like, squirt that we see instead of, like, a more subtle gurgle. Again, still looks great. Yeah, it's a good one. It really is. The killer then follows Marcy into the bathroom. While she's in a stall, she thinks she hears a noise and calls out for Jack but gets no response. Shrugging it off, she does a Hepburn impression to herself in the mirror while our hidden killer looks on. I don't feel good for her that she was being watched, but I am glad someone was around to see her do that impression because it was, like, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it was cute. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't bad. Marcy hears the sound again and starts searching all the showers for the source. She's touching all those disgusting shower curtains. (laughs) She turns around and comes face-to-face with the killer, then comes face-to-face with the killer's axe. (gasps) I like this part where they swing the axe and it clinks against the overhead lamp and they the the makers of the movie were like, yeah, we made it do that so you would know, like, it's a real axe. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It is good. 
So meanwhile, the strip Monopoly is still going because we all know games of Monopoly never fucking end. Yeah. After the storm blows open the door, Brenda remembers she left the windows open in her cabin and leaves to check. I think she was just down to her underwear and chickened out. Yeah. Got a little too real. Yeah. (laughs) As she's getting into bed, Brenda hears a voice calling for help and ventures outside. Corey, you would never, ever, ever get me in a million years (laughs) like this. I would tell myself that voice was a peacock or cat's fucking (laughs) and then honk shoo, honk shoo. Me, 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 me. I am off to dreamland. Yeah. Never, never, never. I would say that sounds like somebody else's problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are no kids there yet. Yeah, it's like a yeah. help me voice. Yeah. So whatever. Tuck yourself in, bitch. Go to sleep. But no, she makes her way to the archery range in pouring rain. The hand reaches for a fuse box and all the lights around the range come on, blinding her. From out in the darkness beyond the range, we hear her scream. <sighs> Worried by their friends' disappearances, Alice and Bill leave the main cabin to investigate. They find the axe all tucked into Brenda's bed, the phone's disconnected, and Ned's truck inoperable. Bill tells Alice not to worry, that it's probably just a misunderstanding, (laughs) and they'll all be laughing about it tomorrow. I don't know, it seems pretty serious. (laughs) Yeah. They go back inside, and I don't know, but it seems like in the midst of all this, they're getting a love connection. Mm-hmm. I like them as a couple better than her and Steve. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. They're they're trauma bonding right now. Mm-hmm. Finally, their boss, Steve, starts to sort of make his way back towards the camp. Yeah. <laughs> Taking his time. Finishing his coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flirting with the waitress a little bit, like the older <laughs> yeah. waitress. But he gets his Jeep caught in the mud and grabs a ride to the camp with a police officer. After the cop receives a call about an accident, Steve is left to walk the rest of the way. Just as he gets back into camp, the killer finds him. Steve recognizes our faceless assailant and is killed when he comes closer to chat. He's like, what are you doing out here? Yeah, this is the second time the first kids that get killed in 1958 also recognize our killer. Mm -hmm. So... We talked about in Evil Laugh mm-hmm. this happening. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. That also a movie with a, a dorky jokester <laughs> that we can't stand. <laughs> yeah. So Bill and Alice are on their own. When the power goes out, Bill goes back to check on the generator. Man, this generator. I know. A Jenny. Working hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> After having herself a little disco nap, Alice heads out to look for him and finds his body pinned with arrows to the generator room's door. Would, would you be able to sleep right now? So much for that romance. I know, huh? <laughs> no, no, I, I know. When she took that nap, she must have been really tired. I feel like this is like um, in Blood Harvest mm-hmm. where our, our character there, her parents are missing. She has no idea where they are, <laughs> but she's just going about her life like yeah. no big deal. People in these movies frequently are like, well, let me just have a little self-care well i think she like accidentally kind of fell asleep and she was working hard that day true sometimes you're very (laughs) upset and you mean to stay awake like if you're in a fight or something and then you just fall asleep anyways (laughs) (laughs) she flees the main cabin to hide she spends a lot of time barricading the door only to be traumatized further when brenda's body is thrown (laughs) through the window soon after alice sees a vehicle pull up and rushes outside thinking it's probably steve right Mm -hmm. (laughs) gotta be 
Instead, she is greeted by Mrs. Voorhees, a middle-aged woman who claims to be an old friend of Steve and his family, wearing a very iconic sweater. It's very bulky. <laughs> Even though Alice begs her not to, Ms. Voorhees says she's going to check. I'm not afraid, she says, and turns away from Alice and walks towards the carnage. I love this scene. Like, <laughs> she is so good in this because when you see her turn, it's like she still has a little smile, but like, I think you said, like, her eyes give it away. Yeah. <laughs> like, her whole face is smiling when she's talking to Alice, and then she turns and her mouth is still smiling, but her <laughs> eyes totally drop. <laughs> and you're like, uh oh. <laughs> Inside, Mrs. Voorhees says Steve never should have opened the camp again. She reveals that her son Jason was the young boy who drowned in 1957, blaming his death on the counselors who were supposed to be watching him, but were having sex instead. I'm glad this never happened to you. Yeah, that would be horrible. Yeah. Revealing herself as the killer, she says she couldn't let Steve open the camp again. Mrs. Voorhees starts blaming Alice for Jason's death 20 years ago and attempts to kill her, but Alice knocks her down and runs away. Out in the darkened camp, Alice encounters the bodies of more of her friends. Mrs. Voorhees chases her, talking to herself in a child's voice. Kill her, Mommy! Kill her! Don't let her get away, Mommy! Don't let her live! Alice makes her way to another supply cabin. <laughs> it's the same one. And she attempts to load a rifle. After turning the lights in the camp back on, Mrs. Voorhees finds Alice and tells her she'll have it easier than poor Jason did. And then Mrs. Voorhees starts slapping the shit out of Alice. Absolutely. <laughs> you can tell she's a 50s mom because she is really putting her back into it. This is a lady who has no concept of child abuse. Mm -mm. <laughs> Alice fights back, eventually giving Mrs. Voorhees the old coochie cruncher <laughs> with the butt of the rifle. And that does hurt. P.S. Yeah, you can feel it. Yeah. Just watching. <laughs> when Mrs. Voorhees reacts to that, Alice hits her in the face with the rifle, knocks her out momentarily, and escapes. Alice makes her way back to the main cabin and hides in a closet. Mrs. Voorhees finds her and begins chopping at the door until she breaks through. And it's like, here's <laughs> mommy yeah. i had to go and look and the shining came out like two weeks after this oh and it looks almost identical yeah this whole ending scene here is like very long and very tense it's good. yeah mm -hmm. so a cornered alice defends herself with a cast iron skillet from mrs Voorhees and her machete eventually bonking mrs <laughs> Voorhees in the head while the unconscious woman is bleeding from her skull on the ground alice escapes again she makes her way to the shore. And Mrs. Voorhees like sneaks up on her, tries to kill her again with a machete. They do some rolling around in the sand. And then Alice gains the advantage and decapitates her. Yeah, we see the blood spurt out of the neck. We sure do. <laughs> Exhausted, Alice boards a canoe and falls asleep inside it, floating out on Crystal Lake. The next morning, the sun rises, the score is soaring, and Alice is floating peacefully with one arm dangling over the side of her canoe, fingers trailing in the water. It's all very bucolic, very peaceful. Mm -hmm. Looks beautiful. The police arrive on the scene and call out to Alice from the shore. Just as Alice lifts her head towards them, Jason's decomposing corpse explodes from the water behind her, pulling Alice under and flipping her canoe. 
Yeah, this scene really works. They talk about in one of the documentaries I watch about how they just go like longer than you would expect. Like you're like thinking something's going to happen, something's going to happen. But it's like, oh, it's been a really long time. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) And then just at that moment. Yeah, people were leaving. Yeah. (laughs) uh, In the theaters, people were walking out already when it started to happen. Yeah, they lulling you into a false sense of security here. So this was added. The scene with Jason popping out of the water was added mm-hmm. while they were shooting. Um, Carrie had come out recently, and it was a Carrie-style ending. And everybody says that it was their idea. <laughs> yeah. There's another guy who did, like, some extra writing after the fact, and he says it was his idea. Tom Savini says it was his idea. I think... In our chat with Victor Miller later, he says that yeah. it was his idea. You'll hear his side of the story. Yeah. <laughs> so he was on the show. So you know what? Victor Miller it was yep. his idea. We're going with that. <laughs> <laughs> so Alice awakens screaming in a hospital surrounded by a police sergeant and medical staff who are attending to her. When Alice asks about Jason, the sergeant says they pulled her out of the lake, but there was no sign of any boy. She says, then he's still there. And the lake is shown with like some subtle ripples in the water. And is it just the lake? Is it oxygen bubbles? Who knows? Yeah. The end. I always imagine his little life under there is like under the sea. You know, what I, I, know. Mean? I hope I hope that's going on for him. That's what I think is <laughs> happening deserves. for him under there. It's like under the sea. <laughs> Friendly crustaceans. <laughs> no. I always picture him with a little TV under the water. I hope he has that <laughs> little SpongeBob house. Yeah, that's our movie. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I think it's a great slasher. It's a great slasher. Watching this movie, I felt like I it had been a few years since I saw it, and I'm watching things like with a more critical eye now. And I was like, God damn, this is a good movie. Probably especially since. After, like, all the movies we've been watching. Oh, yeah, dude. (laughs) Seriously. Everything just comes together really well. The story, the effects, the score. I agree. It's so good. Yeah, I like the cinematography. I feel like this one has so much, like, killer POV, but it's done Mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. That combined with the music, and we already talked about the special effects. And a lot of the movies that we watch, they're lacking the, like, the tenseness, the scariness, the suspense. And this one really has that, I feel like. Yeah, that POV really does add to it because sometimes you'll see that they're so fucking close. Mm -hmm. But because they're just like, you're young and you're doing what you're doing, you're not thinking about it, right? Like, Victor Miller, when he wrote this movie, was kind of like already laying out the rules, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? Like, of of slashers, similar to like Randy's rules. He had three of them, right? (laughs) But then, like, people were asking him, oh, is this a morality thing because the only girl that doesn't have sex lives? And he was like, no, it's not about, like, if you have sex or whatever. She just wasn't busy. Yeah, she wasn't distracted. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Alice is, like, a underrated final girl for sure. Like, nobody really talks about That's her true. the way they do Jamie Lee Curtis or Nancy Thompson. Yeah. Um, but she's really good. I like her. Yeah. I wonder if it is because of, like, that last twist at the end, like, kind of overshadows that she's been... Our girl all along. Maybe. And then she she comes back a little bit for the sequel, but mm-hmm. she doesn't return later like um, the other two do mm-hmm. than the franchises that they're in. And Betsy Palmer is also a really great 
villain. She is. She's so good. Yeah. <laughs> they also talked to uh, Estelle Parsons and uh, Shelly Winters. Uh-huh. And I just can't. I love Shelly Winters. I like Estelle Parsons, too. I just said uh, I'm not seeing it, though. Mm-hmm. No, I think she was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the twist was unexpected, especially at the time. Victor Miller said that he subconsciously wrote a reverse Bates relationship. And along with the score, Mrs. Voorhees, like, switching personalities, talking to herself. Even the opening with Annie, the cook, kind of sets you up to think that she's going to be your main character, only to have her killed off, like, mm-hmm. really early. It's all, it's the psycho parallels are Pretty massive. St- strong, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if everything else is intentional. Like, he has flat out said, like, oh, yeah, like. This is a reverse Norman Bates. Didn't mean to do that, but I did. But it works. Mm -hmm. Even the music is a little bit reminiscent of that. Yeah, totally. But I mean, if you're going to crib from a movie, why not have it be one of the best? Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. It's (laughs) working. It's one of my favorites, too. It's so good. This movie is so good. Um, Did Leonard Maltin? Yeah, about this we disagree <laughs> with oh. Leonard Malton. He gave it one and a half stars. Teens holed up in a woodsy summer camp are systematically slaughtered by a maniac. Young folks unexpectedly made this gory cardboard thriller a box office smash. One more clue to why SAT scores continue to decline. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> Not as harsh as uh, Roger Ebert, right? He like oh, yeah. famously gave us zero stars and gave out Betsy Palmer's wrong address. Yes, the same, critics like, were not kind to this movie. Siskel gave out what he thought was Betsy Palmer's home address. Oh, okay. So people could write letters. But that is just irresponsible. Yeah. Fucked up, dude. And I don't see what they're seeing. Like, it's not. I mean, maybe they were just like shocked by the gore. It's not that bad. No. (laughs) I don't know, man. We've talked about this a few times. It just seems like the critics were really rough, not just on horror, but on horror that was for young people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the case with a lot of youth media. It's the reason why people always think that there are things that young girls like are dumb. Mm -hmm. When it's like... Is it, though? Yeah. I mean, teenagers at this point were driving slice of the, like, entertainment economy. Yeah. So what the fuck? And again, Ebert wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> if you've never seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, go and watch it and then think about the balls on this dude. Yeah. To talk about, like, who is morally right. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. Jason sent me that Malton guide, and he said, rough, Lenny. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that it wasn't at least two stars. <laughs> but we liked it. We did. We love it. We love it. What, what do you give it? I give it five stars. But out of ten, what do you give it? Ten stars. Ten stars! <laughs> <laughs> ten out of ten? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, I don't I wouldn't there's nothing I would change. Yeah. There's nothing where I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Or whatever. I mean, I would get a rubber snake. But yeah. Other than that, 
I like it. I like the kids, even though Ned sucks and I'm glad when he gets killed. I wish that we saw it, but we don't. Um, it's fine. There's always one, right? Mm-hmm. As we've established, if you don't know the uh, annoying clown, it's you. Yeah. Or it might be me, if you know me. See, you're safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Corey, don't agree so readily. <laughs> I'm just happy because I thought it was me. <laughs> and now I know. It's me. <laughs> Going for you. Okay. Well. Well, I'm going to give it 9 out of 10. I, I love this movie. It's good. It's really good. It is good. Yeah. I have something to tell you. Yeah? I think I like this more than Halloween. Wow. See, yeah. that's why I don't give it a 10 out of 10. I do love Halloween more than this one, but I still think it's really good. I think it's the setting mm-hmm. for me is what is what puts it over the top. Shocked to hear you say that because before you're like, oh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, as the series progresses, yeah. it, it's not going to go well, but this first one, and uh, if you just put it up to the first Halloween, like, yeah, I like it more. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps things interesting. Uh-huh. I've said before on this show that the Friday the 13th franchise is not my favorite, but that's because Hockey Mask Jason is not my favorite. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Watching this movie so many times over the last few weeks has kind of like made me think a little bit about why that is. Mm-hmm. because to me hockey mask jason is just like this lumbering dummy i don't know there's just something about him that has never really clicked for me and like watching this and knowing that like there wasn't supposed to be more movies and then they picked up and started making more movies with this character that is supposed to be this kid in the lake from the first movie and then now he's like this grown man and then they like oh explain it away but it just it ain't clicking mm. for me it's almost like, what is that he doesn't really have a real history, I guess. Yeah. Because it was, like, made up. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it changes between, like, each sequel. They treat it differently, like his origins. Mm-hmm. So that kind of confuses things. I do still like him as a villain. I think Pamela is a stronger villain. Like, mm-hmm. her motives are stronger. But I don't know. He's kind of like a Frankenstein in the way that he's a little bit sympathetic. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know. Sometimes they figure out ways to make Michael Myers sympathetic. Yeah, that's true. No, no way for Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you like him and he's funny. No. <laughs> he's a bad man. He is a bad man. <laughs> um, and I mean, I do, I don't know if I have sympathy for, for Charles, but I came around. <laughs> Charles, if you're listening. <laughs> I understand you completely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this brings us to a very exciting moment in our podcast history. Very exciting. As we've established, the man wrote. It all came from his mind, Mm -hmm. right? Victor Miller wrote Friday the 13th. He has Emmys. I bet they're very heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got to see his dog. Yes. Yes. On the Zoom interview. He was very nice. Mm -hmm. And we are going to have a little chat with him right now. And we hope that you enjoy it. All right. Firewood ready, Gridley. 
thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us. We really, really appreciate it. We are extremely excited. Yes. So you said you've always been good at making up stories. When did yep. you decide that this was something that you would turn into a career? I think what happened was my the, my family of origin, uh, my mother and father, uh, we're talking Jim Crow, New Orleans, Louisiana, 1940, when I was born. And uh, my mother was nuts. Uh, my father was in WW2 as a commander at a uh, destroyer escort. Uh, my older brother was paranoid schizophrenic. Um, my older sister, was, she just left every chance she could get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always had these voices in my brain, which were saying, oh, I know something really bad's about to happen. Uh, and sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. And, uh, and I was, by the, t- by the time I was eight and going to the movies, uh, I was just scared of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mind was constantly thinking up these uh, awful ways for things to end. Um, and eventually I said, you know, I wonder if I could uh, turn this into a career. And uh, I took all the short story classes and writing classes I could at Yale. And uh, um, the odd, the funny thing is I had a, there was a, there was a famous course at Yale, I don't know if it's still there, but it's called Daily Themes. And you had to hide, you had to um, send in five days a week a full page of a short story or a thing or whatever. Oh wow! And my uh, my tutor teacher whatever was Professor uh, Harry Berger Jr. Um, and after two or three of my my one pagers, he wrote, "Stop writing this effing soap opera." <laughs> <laughs> It was kismet, and yeah. some yeah. way. I had not, I had not meant to end up in soap opera. Uh, I didn't know I was, I was going to deeply, I was going to be deeply intellectual or something, but um, that just wasn't my way. I, I'd gone to too many movies by the yeah. time I was twenty-two, um, and I just said, I, I don't know what I want to do. Um, so what did I do? Oh, I went, I went and taught. Uh, no, first I, I worked at Benton and Bowles Advertising, and I read all the screenplays for all the TV shows that we had bought minutes in. Uh, and in those days, the advertiser could control in a, uh, just about anything in the show. Mm-hmm. So I, my job as a uh, newbie was to read all the screenplays like of Gunsmoke and Dick Van Dyke and all these other shows. And and if I saw something that might be troublesome for Procter & Gamble or <laughs> Kent Cigarettes or whoever it was, it was our sponsor. Um, then I would call our, our man in Los Angeles, because I was in Manhattan, and say, I don't think Brockton Gamble's going to like this thing. <laughs> um, and so um, he would then go over to the producers and get the script changed. And uh, that, that, that got really boring and stupid. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I got a job teaching at a prep school. My wife and I went over there and, uh, for three years at the Hill School in Buttstown. And so I taught stuff and I got, um, I said, this is not going to work. So I, I got a, a scholarship to go to a National Defense Education Act scholarship to go to Tulane and get a master's or actually a doctorate in uh, theater. Um, and they had a great theater department then. And uh, I went there 
and I got a master's. And after I got the master's, I said, I'm bored with this whole thing. So I got a job at the Shakespeare Theater in Stratford, Connecticut, where I was uh, designing a course uh, that with the, uh, the people there for to teach teachers how to teach theater. Mm-hmm. And it, um, one thing, you know, Another, I mean, one of the one of the guys at the Shakespeare Theater had graduated from the Yale uh, School of Drama in writing, and so he helped coach me and uh, stuff. So I just kept doing, doing. but um, yeah. it turns out um, that I am not uh, John Cheever uh, <laughs> or a lot of other uh, writers who everybody likes. Um, <laughs> But it, you know, it didn't matter as long as I got to make up stuff. Yeah. I mean, as because as a kid, I think where my fiction career started was anytime my mother caught me doing something, I had a story. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. and the band played on. What yeah. Can I, <laughs> I think so that's like really that. interesting that you're like, well, you know, I I don't have to be John Cheever. You, I, I read something that you said about writing and that it, it can't just be talent. You have to put the work in. And I think yeah, that oh, that yeah. was so interesting. It's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow about like the nature of success. I think in the arts in general, that oh, yeah. you can't just be good at it. You have to actually work. And I, I suspect, I suspect I wasn't neurotic enough. Sure. But to, <laughs> to, to be one of those writers. Yeah. I, <laughs> Because I loved, I, I loved going to movies, you yeah. know, and uh, and uh, and I watched a lot of television as well. And so, um, I was just one. I'm, I was my mind went, and then what happens? And mm-hmm. then what happens? And then what happens? But very rarely did I say, "Ha, ah, this is finally going to free women from the the horrible the, the stress they're under," or "This is that," and oh, I want to, hey. Um, I very rarely thought about what is the laurel of what I'm writing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I said, "How much fun is it?" Yeah, yeah. And did the bad and did the bad guy get killed? Sure. <laughs> All so. very valid and good. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, there, uh, every once in a while, somebody would compare me to um, one of those guys around the campfire, and I think my campfire was smaller than some other people's campfires, but uh, you know the. Back when when cavemen first learned to tell stories to each other, mm-hmm. uh, I had maybe seven people, whereas John Cheever had 120 people. Sure. For his <laughs> but every camp, every campfire needs somebody. That's so, true. So yeah, there I was. Yeah, now we... I've metaf- now I've metaphorized you into. <laughs> <laughs> we talk a lot because we do our show is about 80s slashers. And we talk a lot about how, you know, we don't expect all of these movies to really tickle our intelligence and right. and and make us really think about the nature of the universe. We're just trying to have a good time. <laughs> we are well met, as Shakespeare would say. <laughs> when you were reading those scripts in for advertising, was that sort of your first... Um, experience with that particular writing medium oh yeah yeah i mean because i was reading the ben casey scripts Mm -hmm. um and uh the dick van dyke show so i was the to a to z uh because the dick van dyke scripts i learned a lot because uh carl reiner was i think the the uh the head writer Mm -hmm. 
And um, so I would get draft number one from uh, one of one or two of the, the Hollywood's comedy writers. And then I get uh, the version that Carl Reiner edited. Mm -hmm. And I saw what he'd done. I mean, and the guy was a genius. It just Absolutely. And so uh, I learned a lot from that. Um, I also learned, you know, because I, I looked at everything from um, Joey Bishop show and, mm -hmm. and, and Dick Van Dyke uh, up to um, these, you know, with Ben Casey, this incredible dramatic uh, surgeon and mm -hmm. whatnot, and uh, and I, and he was a brain surgeon, so he was always doing these brain things, and uh, uh, and I uh, later on. I, my wife and I went back to New Orleans where I was born and we hanging out with my parents. And I was at a party and I said, say, and I met this doctor. And I said, um, how come in all of Ben Casey scripts, uh, all, these, all he ever does is subdural hematomas? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy said, because that's the only thing we can cure. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Then I had the nerve to ask him what he did, and he, he was a dermatologist, and I said, dermatologist? That's not very uh, brave. And he's like, wait, wait, that? And he says, so I can sleep. Right. <laughs> he said, nobody, nobody ever calls me in the middle of the night for a, for a pimple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, um, that's life. You know, just it, it's amazing how really uh, silly it is yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. But, but it was fun. Yeah, that's so cool. The yeah. Dick Van Dyke, uh, Carl Reiner thing, that is really, really cool to me. <laughs> I love Carl Reiner. Oh, oh, I mean, you know, just to, to see what he would punch up in, in this thing. And, uh, I wish I had been paid more attention. Yeah. And so. Yeah. But anyway, that was not to be. Still. And, uh, and here we are. Yeah, that's a, a really cool beginning, like introduction into where you were going to end up. Yeah. That's That's really fascinating. Um, I read that you had, you wish that you had written Airplane. We were going to ask you, what movie do you wish you had written? And then I ran across it. <laughs> I would, I would have, oh God, if I could hang with those guys. Um, I think I probably watch Airplane every year. Oh yeah. <laughs> because I love knowing what the next gag is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like going to church for, for a writer, um, you know, you know, you know what you know. Christmas, you're going to get this, and mm -hmm. the, uh, the Easter, you're going to get crucifixion and whatnot. But I, I'm going to get uh, all those incredible, stupid lines yes. in the cockpit <laughs> of that airplane. Yes. And uh, or the ones, the ones with the with the with the holy roller people in the airport, and uh, <laughs> and it's like just going to to an old friend, and those guys just did such incredible work and yeah. even the airplane two was pretty good so. yeah and they do hold up really well we yeah. watch them a lot too if it if i run across it on tv we're stopping yeah. it, i yeah. mean tears every time well i mean I, I just i remember things in the middle of my day or whatever <laughs> the blinking sign that says no l i u smoko <laughs> yeah. i mean it's i'm eight, i'm gonna be 82 in another month and I'm still loving uh, childish shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's great fun. Great fun. Have you been able to work comedy into your writing over the years? Um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've written some things that were allegedly meant to be funny, but uh, I, uh, the, the ones I liked best never got picked up. Sure. So, you know, I did what I did to survive uh, with a wife and two kids. And uh, let's see, in August, Tina and I will be together for 60 years. That's amazing. Uh, Congratulations. I, I thought so. <laughs> yeah. So does she uh, to put up with me. <laughs> God. She, fortunately, she has done our, uh, our, our, she is our comptroller and has been since 1962. <laughs> when I said, I don't think I know how to do a checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is history. And thank God. So. <laughs> I read in another interview where somebody asked you what you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments. And you said not being a dick. And I said, okay, this is why he's been married for so long. <laughs> well, yes, but, um, in order to not be a dick, you have to be one first. Sure. <laughs> uh, I thought I was just a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but I had help from Mother Nature. <laughs> it's made me much happier because I know I'm, uh, uh, I know that I'm less of a dick than I used to be. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lifetime work, you know? Yeah. I think that that's like one of the things that we should all strive for is to just be a little bit less of a dick than we were before. (laughs) And then at the end, you're perfect. Well, (laughs) let's not get carried away. (laughs) I know, I know we work in fiction, but gee whiz. Um, What's next on your list? In your writing for soap operas, Mm. um, it does seem like you would need to have a sense of humor, but also have respect for these characters to make, like you'd have to love them yeah. too. How are yeah. you able to walk that line? Um, because you just showed up. I mean, yeah. well, the best thing, I think the thing that made me like, like actually working in daytime drama as much as I did is that it was group art. Mm-hmm. And I use the word art. Um, because before that, everything I did was by myself. Yeah. And um, and then there I was with a table full of people as a head writer and like three or four others, and and we would be coming up with the stories and the and the blocking for each day. Um, and it was, it had taken me back to the, the improvisational theater, mm-hmm. which I had done in the drama school, and um, so that was much more fun because. One of you guys would say, oh, well, what happens if she's pregnant? And then uh, the next person around would say, well, yes, but not by her husband. Sure. And the other, <laughs> the other person would say, yeah, but who would it be? And I'd say, Fred, you know, uh-huh. or something else. Um, and it was that kind of sharing. And then, of course, the head writer had the, the last word mm-hmm. and would say, yeah, yeah, I think I like what, uh, what she said. And he said, and then we would go with that. I tend to, when I got nothing, no, I mean, nothing to do. Uh, I go to do all those um, things on my, I don't know, I get a gazillion shows coming in through whatever it is, Xfinity. And uh, I tend to like the ones on uh, that have nothing but murder stuff redone all, <laughs> all week long. I mean, and it's, uh, well, let's show what happened to this poor lady. And then they have actress uh, uh, portraying the people uh-huh. and, and, uh, is he guilty? And yes, he was. And uh, <laughs> oh God. Um, yep. So I, that's that's my soap opera now. Yeah, <laughs> true crime fan. <laughs> yeah, it's always Stephen the husband. Colbert, <laughs> Stephen Colbert and a lot of people who uh, did bad things. <laughs> 
I had a question about being a screenwriter, and this may pertain more to movies. Um, uh-huh. So after you've written a script and you hand it over, uh, do you have any more to say about what makes it on screen, or is that hard if they're changing things? Depends on who you are. If you're if you're the person they paid, uh, oh, I don't know, a million eight for mm-hmm. the screenplay, uh, and nobody's touching it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you have you have that kind of clout. But if you if you've paid and have been paid the minimum, uh, you know, you can uh, kiss it goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's a mixture. It de- it depends on um, how the whole thing uh, came to be. You know, was it you with a producer and, and the producer says, I got this great idea and you do then do it or you bring your great idea to the producer and he says, oh, that's wonderful. I'll buy it. Um, and uh, it's just it. But it really is a dance macabre, mm-hmm. the whole thing from, from the casting on down. And um, you have everybody's got an ego <laughs> yes. in the middle of this thing. It's it's uh, it's wild and it's crazy. That's why the good movies are so good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody, some adult took over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And we haven't talked about Friday the 13th yet, but particularly in that film, was there anything that was in your original script that didn't make it on screen? I don't think so. I can't remember right off the bat. No, I mean, it's all, all pretty much there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, I because all of the all the de- the deaths, the killings, for instance, um, all came right out of my uh, nightmares. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, and actually, I had I had nightmares before I went to sleep, um, and I I told uh, in, in just about every interview that uh, my mother used to I used to just ask my mother to look underneath the bed when she tucked me in to make sure nobody was there. Well, Ed or Kevin Bacon. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and a hunting arrow. Uh, and there it is, you know. So everything really came out of this uh, this horrible uh, childhood of mine. So yeah. Yeah. it wasn't horrible. It was just in my mind it was horrible. Yeah. I, nobody uh, cut off my arms and legs. So, <laughs> sure. so, yeah, I think it's really cool how uh, you and Tom Savini kind of collaborated on those deaths. And I such a good job, obviously. And I love the combination of... Sometimes you see it very gory. Sometimes you cut away before. Sometimes you see it, the body yeah. discovered afterwards. Right. I think it works so well. <laughs> Tom Savini, God, he was fabulous. And, and <clears throat> that was all before all of the special effects mm-hmm. were, you know, were uh, automated these days. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Harry Manfredini uh, oh. will always be um, on my favorite people list. Mm-hmm. Uh, that music uh, just about sold the entire project. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. It was amazing. It's so. wonderful. <laughs> I, I just yeah. did a rewatch last week and everything still holds up so well. The effects look great. Yeah. The music is affecting. The story is great. Yeah. It's 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 perfect. It was um, uh, it was a, a one-off, as mm-hmm. we say. I think, you know, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So recognizable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's so, so cool. It's cool. <laughs> um, so it's also sort of a whodunit, but it's different because the audience really can't guess that it's Mrs. Voorhees because they haven't met her yet. Was that intentional? Did it have to do with um, Betsy Palmer being recognizable? Uh, yeah, yes, because, well, it had to do with how much are we, how many appearances 
uh, how many days will she be shooting and how much will she be paid for each yeah. of those days? <laughs> okay. Um, so that's why you saw a hand with a ring on it mm -hmm. as opposed to a, a palmer. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was just um, working with the budget we had. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and uh, actually that cheating worked out really to our benefit because, uh, what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and the way she drove the Jeep and, um, you know, and, uh, and the first kill. So mm -hmm. it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I also had a question about, I know the ending, like the Carrie style ending was not part of the original script that was added on later. Oh, the carry stuff. When Jason jumps uh, out of the lake. You no, know, that was, uh, Sean called me uh, one day and said, uh, we need a chair jumper at the end of the movie. And I said, you mean like Jason coming out of the water? And he said, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Shoot yeah. it. <laughs> there it was. I also read that you said that your first problem with the sequel was that they didn't ask you to write it. <laughs> yeah, well, their, their excuse was that I was now too expensive. Yeah. Um, which, all right. Uh, yeah. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> if they had, if Hockey Mask Jason had never existed, do you know where you would have gone with that story? No, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was already, I had, um, I had immediately been contracted by Columbia Pictures to do uh, another horror movie. Mm-hmm. And so I went out to California and uh, worked on that. And uh, it was fascinating. Uh, you know, it turns out um, Hollywood likes to make contracts, not movies. Sure. And so um, I got out there and I, I pitched a movie where it was going to be basically a horror film in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, they said, oh, great, Nito. And they gave me a whole bunch of money. And I went back to Connecticut. And started writing it, and about a week later, I got a call from the uh, one of the under producers, and um, he said, uh, "We've done some research about uh, hospital movies, and uh, can you put it somewhere else?" <laughs> <laughs> to which, to which I said, "Huh?" I mean, all I had that I, as I sold it, I I only had like horror from in a hospital. Yeah, uh, and they said, "Can you put it somewhere else?" And I said, "Well." All right, yeah, let me get back to you. And I got back to them and I said, how about uh, uh, in a, a woman's college? Mm -hmm. They said, oh, great, neato. So I did the script with the woman's college and it didn't, um, they, they gave me my completion money, but they didn't, never made the movie. Yeah, so when they that, contract you to write that and they pay you, you don't have to give the money back? <laughs> they say, never mind? No, no, okay. that's, that's the nice part. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't do your career a bit of good. No. Uh, yeah. um, and then I did I did some other things and I got paid for them and it was all very nice. And then um, because it was da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, when some, somebody called me, a lawyer, and said, uh, uh, would you like to write soap opera? And I said, I don't know, I've never seen one. <laughs> uh, so I then had lunch with the head writer at One Life to Live, and the rest is uh, uh, Emmy history. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a hard-hitting question for you. Ready. How many times have you played Strip Monopoly? <laughs> How many times have I played Strip Monopoly? Once. Okay. <laughs> Once. Um, uh and it was on a, in summer, and I was 13, and there was a girl 15, and another somebody. But 
nobody ever got down to all of us. Sure. <laughs> it was it was more the uh, the yeah <laughs> than it was anybody getting laid. So, so are you the true inventor of strip monopoly? <sighs> I don't think so. No, oh. I, I do not. I do not remember who who made that one up. Uh, but she went on to be very famous. <laughs> um, do you still write daily now that you are pretty much retired? No, not a bit. No. I mean, when you write, when you write uh, one or two episodes a week for twenty five years, yeah. um, it's it's less fun. But I have been working um, lately. I, you know. To, doing fun stuff. Um, this friend of mine who was a retired policeman in, down in San Leandro, San Jose. And uh, he said, uh, we're, we're just doing this for fun. And we'll, we come up with um, a thing like, uh, oh, I don't know, pettifogger, a word pettifogger. And then um, you just put, you put that on the top of your page and mm -hmm. then you write 101 words, mm -hmm. no more, no less. Mm -hmm. um, with somehow the sense of or the spirit of pedophagra. So we've been just, I can, I can do it in like 32 minutes. But, yeah. Um, it's just fun because uh, they're not going to make any money. And uh -huh. you just send, we send them back and forth on the internet. Yeah. And, uh, and it's great fun. And what do you, what do you, what do you gave me to take? That does uh -huh. sound fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sweet, my favorite is the one, sweet perturbation. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. <laughs> Is it, it per perturbance fun. and annoyance? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perturbation, sweet perturbation. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, mine tend to get grisly. Uh, <laughs> the last sentence in that one is uh, the numerical va value of chariots of fire in Chaldean numerology is three. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't have to make sense. Sure. <laughs> ever again. <laughs> It's wonderful. I That's mean, you very know freeing. <laughs> where's, where's the money in it anyway? There's no bad word. Yeah. I, I joined the the uh, Writers Guild of America East in 1970-something. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's the best, best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, it's a great union. And yeah. um, we've been on, uh, on our uh, pension for what, 15 years. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were working on a project with your friend Peter Fonda, and since we had lost him in 2019, do you have plans still for that movie? No, because uh, he was he was riding it. Um, I mean, I, I we talked about a lot. Of, we had we did two together. Mm -hmm. One is an animated feature, um, and the other is uh, a kind of a takeoff on um, the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Where, but then that one got canned because of the um, Trump got elected. Sure. And it, it was just, it was they, they, not, nothing we had done uh, about world world domination. Um, it could be done because he was there. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, the uh, an animated feature was wonderful, uh, was um, an attempt to take Monta, uh, Ma, Monsanto to the cleaners. Oh. Uh, and... Uh, so if anybody wants to see an anti, um, we we call it um, in the in the movie we call it Monster Santo. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about you know the uh, the chickens and all of the different animals in the barn coming up in weird ways. Yeah. So um, if anybody wants to do an, um, 
animation from a brilliant screenplay. Yeah. Mirroring, but yeah. that sounds yeah, interesting. It was fun. Yeah. It was great fun. But the most fun was doing uh, the end of the world thing with uh, Peter because uh, it was uh, it was just giddiness. And yeah. we had no I had known him back when I was what 13, 14. Oh, so. really? Well, Henry moved Henry moved to uh, to we were living on Long Island and Henry moved out because he was on, in the play on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So he wanted. So he had. Uh, he brought up his uh, daughter, his son, mm-hmm. and his then wife, um, and uh, they lived down the street. So Peter and I were fast friends, and Jane was walking around, and everybody was oogling and ogling sure. her, and um, and uh, it was just marvelous. And then the next summer, they came to a different house and rented that one, and, uh, and Peter and I stayed in, in touch over the whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, it was, I got to tell you, it's two or three of the best years where we just talked on the phone and on the, on this thing mm-hmm. um, and giggled our heads off. Yeah. So, I'm sorry it didn't cure his cancer, but otherwise everything's fine. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Was Jane the girl from the strip monopoly game? <laughs> no. no. She's still my heart. <laughs> like we might have a big scoop here. <laughs> well, uh, not there. Dream on. Sure. <laughs> so you recently reclaimed the domestic rights to the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Do you have any plans? I don't to- know what we. All I did. All I know is that the Congress a bunch of years ago said after twenty five years I could claim my copyright. Mm-hmm. So that's all it had. But um, I guess it's it is so complicated and uh, all of it is so complex. I have no clue how it's going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just hope my kids have enough to live on. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, they've taken the Halloween franchise in like four different directions. So kind of seems like the sky's the limit. You could do whatever you wanted to <laughs> from with the characters yeah, yeah. that you originally wrote. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But quien sabe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Friday the 13th is this huge cultural touchstone that will outlive all of us. And will be people will still be talking about it decades later. Now, as you've retired and your career is, uh, you kind of put a bow on that. Right. Um, what does it feel like to be in your 80s and look back at this body of work and specifically this thing that you created that is so huge and people mm. will still love it and talk about it forever? I mean, for in mm. my mind, it is no different than Shakespeare. Like people may argue the merit of one over the other, right, but they'll yeah. still both be there. What? What? Mm. I mean, isn't that like the drive of humanity to leave your mark? Is this immortality? <laughs> I would have thought so, if, especially if I were your age. But mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, in the last nine or ten months, I think. Um, I have, um, I have gotten a very realistic uh, picture of um, of w- what it is to be dead. Sure. I.e., zero. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if, uh, that. I'm, there's no off stage. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's no consciousness that I'm that I'm thinking of. Where I'll be up in the angels saying, "Oh look, they're having another uh, Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> festival." 
or down in hell and the devil says oh they got they're running your movie again yeah, I'm, not, I'm not seeing that so much um uh, and but i will will say is uh, um and i'm not embarrassed or ashamed no. of my out my output mm-hmm. uh but nor am i thinking that somehow I will be taught in um, drama school. And even if I were, what do I care? I'm dead. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's such a, I don't know, uh, a, a cliche that, oh, my God, I, I haven't left enough of an inheritance or a mm-hmm. thing or whatever. Um, turns out, you know, with at least from my point of view, um, when the curtain comes down, um, we're not going to have an after party. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm uh, who knows, I'm not there yet, but uh, I have thought about it that, uh, gee whiz, you know, um, what's it going to be like to not think whatsoever when my, all my life it's been. So, yeah, you know, if I if I actually become a spook, I'll call you. We would love that. You see your coffee table levitating. It's, it's me. Okay, well, hey, look for kids, the sign. I'm still here. <laughs> That's so interesting how perspectives shift. I'm I'm very interested in that. Like as yeah. as you yeah, move through your life. I think I've I've done uh, I've I've gotten very lucky. Yeah. And bunch and bumped into the the right people and yeah. uh, even though my parents were nuts. Yeah. Uh, they set us up for better things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Kim saw it. <laughs> well, speaking of mothers. Yes. We have a little game, if you're willing. <laughs> I'm willing. Okay. So I'm sure that you're probably familiar with F. Mary Kill, where you are given three options, and you have to choose between the three people if you would F them, marry them, or kill them. That's very complicated. All right. F... <laughs> Marry and kill. Okay. okay. But we, we have a little twist on it. So uh. we have, <laughs> we are doing ours with three scary mothers. All right. Okay. So their options here are mother, where she would be a great mother, smother, right. where you would cover her face with a pillow, or right. lover, where you will love this lady. And our three choices are. Mrs. Voorhees, Norma Mm -hmm. Bates, and Joan Mm -hmm. Crawford. (sighs) God, I want to kill all of them. I don't see an out. (laughs) Gee whizzikers. I mean, I've been happily married all these years. Yeah, these are the options that were out there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God I didn't. I only stuck with the one I got. (laughs) Boy, is that it, kids? That's it. Are we there yet, as we used to say? We are there. (laughs) Well, this has been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Indeed. I mean, what else I got to do? I'm going to go downstairs and have lunch. (laughs) Hey, that's great. Congratulations on your life's work and on this long marriage and your uh-huh. family. It's all wonderful. Yeah, my kids all get along. Yeah. <laughs> Their wives get along. We all get along. That's it's wonderful. Like, I know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it was my wife. It wasn't me. 
Sure. <laughs> See you, kids. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Well, thanks again to Victor Miller. We hope you enjoyed that interview. And I think we've said all we could say about Friday the 13th. Not true, but we're going to we have to cut it off at some point. It's all we're going to say about <laughs> Friday the 13th right now. If you have thoughts, let us know. Let us know. If you got some six degrees of Kevin Bacon's for us, we want to hear that. Yes. What's our next movie? Our next movie is Return to Horror High. Is there another one before this? Why is it returning? Oh, I thought you meant like I had the movie wrong no. and I was really thinking about it. No. I was like, wait, did I miss something? I don't know. I feel like it might be a little bit of a spoof. A spoof? I love that. <laughs> like Airplane. Yeah, I like Airplane. Oh. Corey, you want to go watch Airplane? Yes. Okay, we'll watch Airplane. All right. Thank you for listening. Give us a review. Yes. And as always, donate to Bakersfield Burrito Project. Please do. Baco Burrito Project on Cash App and Venmo. Okay. Everyone stay safe on Friday the 13th. Be careful out there. I hope it's not a full moon. <laughs> yeah, that's double deadly. Ugh. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Gag Me With a Chainsaw with your hosts, Corey and Sarah. Music by White Bat Audio. Find us on Twitter at Chainsaw Podcast and on Instagram at Gag Me With a Chainsaw. Until next time, unpleasant dreams. <laughs>